Marissa is hiding on that shelf there. No difference, same word. Uh, it's spelled differently in different languages. Greek and Hebrew specifically. Correct. Yep. That's exactly right. They mean the same thing. I'm sure Chris has very specific reasons why he likes that spelling specifically. Um, since his son is named Emmanuel. So... We are going to get serious this morning, if that's okay with all of you. Uh, I'd like to start out with just a quick prayer. Father God, we pray that you would bless this time in your word, studying you and who you are and when you came to earth to save us. I pray for a spirit of revelation this morning for all of us, Lord that we could see you more fully, that we could understand who you are, what you sacrificed for us to a greater degree and in a more full way. pray that you would help us to open our hearts and our minds to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Open up to Philippians. I know you're expecting Luke 2. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's start with Philippians 2, verse 5. Paul quoted most of this during communion. I'm going to read it again. This uh, passage, verses 5 through 11 here in Philippians 2, is probably the most dense theological passage in the epistles, at least in my opinion. whole series of books have been written about this little passage, whole semesters at grad school are devoted to this little passage. We're going to spend a few minutes on it. So consider this a very brief cursory look at a very, very deep topic, but a really important one because Paul goes here and connects the birth of Christ to the death of Christ, but he also goes prior to the birth, and he talks about the incarnation and how exactly that happened and what was going on there. So Philippians 2, starting with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, or emptied himself in some version, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we'll stop there. So... This talks about what is called the incarnation. That's when God became a human being. It is the craziest, strangest, most unbelievable and impossible thing that's probably ever occurred. I don't understand it at all. That's the end of the sermon. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's, it's incomprehensible. Okay, And Paul talks a little bit about that incomprehensibility. He says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, so Jesus is God in heaven, and by the form of God, he means God in the way we usually think of God, right? God's in heaven. He's awesome. He's glorious. He's everything. Um, and he didn't consider that a thing to be held onto, but rather was willing to let go of the form to become the form of something else, a human being. 
And so that, that word form there, it's, it's like uh, this time of year you go outside and you look at a lake and it has a different form than it did two months ago. Right? It's hard now. It's solid. You could walk on it. It's still water. It's just in a different form. In science, they call that different state, state of matter, right? So water can be hard or water can be soft and liquidy, but it's both water, equally water. There's no difference chemically in one or the other. They're just in slightly different forms. And I think, in a sense, what's true in the natural is true in the spirit as well. And Jesus was in the form of God, and then he became in the form of a man, a human being. But it didn't change who he was. It didn't change... The, the essence of who he was. He was fully God when he was in heaven before Mary was even born, and he was fully God when he was in Mary's womb, and he was fully God when he was walking around on the earth, and he's fully God now, right? 100% God in every way at all times. That part didn't change. What changed was the form that he was in. He became a human being, and he wasn't a human being before, right? He was in the form of God, and he didn't consider that form as something that he had to hold on to. So let's talk about the humility of Jesus. He realized what his mission was, and he had to give up something, at least temporarily, in order to become human, to become Jesus. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. And so he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. So the form of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, prior to the incarnation was not the form of a servant. He took that on. This is a new form. Okay, And now he is subservient to the Father. He is a human. He says things like, I do only what I see the Father doing. And he operates through the power of the Holy Spirit just as we do. And that was a new form. That was a different form. Prior to that, this is the same God who created everything that exists. Jesus, the, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Logos as John calls him, was the creator. He literally created everything that exists. Without him, nothing was made that has been made, is what John says. And so that same God, the creator God, was willing to change forms and become a servant. So the creator becomes a servant of the creation. Wow is a good word. (laughs) That is the best word. Wow. Like, what is happening? That is weird. Okay, it's strange. We, we, we think about analogies. I've heard some, some decent ones, but really they're, they're, they're pale in comparison to the truth. Analogies like a king who leaves his castle and goes to live with the people. Or a rich person from the suburbs who sells their house and goes to live in the inner city. Like, those, that, that scratches the tiniest of surfaces of what is happening here. The magnitude of what Jesus set aside, gave up, emptied himself for us, is so massive, we can't possibly understand it. I think like 20 million years from now, in other words, 20 million years into heaven, we'll start grasping it, and we can reconvene and talk about it. Because we will understand it, I think, a little bit more. But it might take that long to get it. Because we're talking about things like infinity here, infinite power, infinite authority, infinite glory. Those are difficult things to understand. So Jesus, in order for the incarnation to be possible, the Son of God had to... Do some godly things. He had to cheat in a way because God and human flesh are incompatible. 
We know this from Exodus. Moses and God spoke. Moses heard God's audible voice all the time, sensed his presence, but he couldn't see him with his physical eyes. And one day Moses is just like, can I just see you? I want to just see what you actually look like, like for real. And God doesn't scold him or anything. He's just like, you don't understand what you're asking. That would kill you. The glory of God, and it's, it's glory is similar to majesty. It's, some, it's a godly quality. Um, I think of glory like radiance, like the sun, the sun, S-U-N. Um, if you were to try to set foot on the sun, you would instantly vaporize from the heat and from the radiation and probably from the light. Like, you just bang, come on. And if you were to be in the full presence of the full glory of the sun, S-O-N, you would vaporize even faster. Human flesh is just too weak. It's too frail. It's too incompatible. And so God says, Mo, you're great. I love you, but you can't see me. You can't literally see me in my entirety because my glory would kill you. God wouldn't try to kill Moses. It's just physics. His proximity, even his just seeing, just something about seeing God, the glory would be so overwhelming that it would kill Moses. And so God does another cheating thing where he somehow hides Moses. I don't know. He builds a shield like in Star Trek around him or something, probably. And then he says, all right, I'll let you see my back. Like, I'll let you see the area I just passed through. And that's the closest you could possibly get. Even with this super special protection, he then went back to the people and he was glowing for days. And the people got freaked out and they made him wear a veil all the time. Okay? So the glory of God is a serious thing. It's big time. And this is a problem if you want an incarnation to take place. Because the moment you incarnated yourself, you would kill mama. Right? Jesus, in the fullness of his glory, Mary would die instantly. So would everyone who ever saw Jesus. This is counter to the, prob- to the purpose of him coming. Right? <laughs> he did not come that everyone might perish. It's the opposite of that. Okay? So what he had to do was get clever. God's good at this. He invented cleverness. And so he said, okay, I have, I have to be fully human. I can't cheat there. I can't create a special body. There are some heresies way back in the church that were like, Jesus wasn't really human. He was like a superhuman. He was a superbot or something, and God could inhabit him because he was super. That's not true. Jesus was normal. The Bible says over and over again, he was normal. He was flesh and blood like everybody else. Okay? That's why he, it was so important that he was Mary's son genetically and every other way. Okay? Jesus was a human, fully but he was also fully God. Those two things can't work. This is a problem. God's super smart. He figured out the problem. Jesus emptied himself, and he took on the form of a servant. And so he set aside or veiled or hid, whatever term you want to use, I don't know. Again, I don't understand any of this. (laughs) Okay? Um, I like the word veiled, but he he hid or he sat down. Paul says emptied himself, but that's a metaphor, obviously. Um, some of his powers, if you want to put it that way. He didn't set aside any of his divinity. He didn't set aside any of his essence, any of who he really was. But it's like, here's another terrible analogy. Comic books often have the superhero lose their powers for a time because it helps them grow and stuff like that, right? And so Superman will lose his ability to fly. Is he no longer Superman because he can't fly? No, he's just as much Superman as he was yesterday. He just can't fly, that's all. Have any of you ever broken a limb, like a leg, and you couldn't walk properly, or at all? Anybody? I've done it a few times, sadly. Um, Just because I can't walk properly doesn't mean I'm not Nate anymore. 
It just means I can't walk properly right now until it heals, right? If that doesn't change my essence. It doesn't change who I am if I lose an ability. And so Jesus set aside, hid, veiled, whatever you want to call it, some of his abilities, not his essence, not who he was. He's still fully God, but in order for the incarnation to be possible, some of that glory we talked about had to be hidden away or else everybody would die. And we see some of this glory come out on the Mount of Transfiguration, which is a really cool story in Luke 9. Jesus goes up there, and the Father unveils it. He unveils it. I, I don't know how it works. Again, I don't know any of this. But he starts glowing, right? And he starts shining like the sun, and it's crazy. And Peter is like, it is good that we should be here. Let us make three dwellings to stay in on this mountain with Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Um, he, he didn't want to leave the glory of Jesus. He didn't want to leave his presence. He's like, we're staying on this mountain. We'll hope a sheep comes by so we can eat at some point. But if we don't, we'll die here happily because the glory of God is so amazing and awesome, I want to be near it. Okay? And that was just, like, just a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. That was like peak at the true glory of Jesus. Ah, I can't see. Okay? And so, and, and he covered it back up again so that he could go down and be with the people and do his job and do his mission. And so that's the glory of God being veiled. That's part of what he set aside here in Philippians. Yeah, question? No? Okay. And so one of the things we know, one sec, one of the things we know that he emptied himself of, um, veiled, however you want to put it, was his glory. Another was his omnipotence. Omnipotence means all-powerful. It's one of the things you first think about when you think about God. God is all-powerful, right? Well, part of being all-powerful means you do not want anything or lack anything. Okay, God can't get tired. God rests because rest is beneficial, but he doesn't rest because he's weary. The Bible says that multiple times. He does not get weary. He does not faint. God does not get hungry. Okay, God doesn't lack anything because he's omnipotent. He can't. It's, it's literally impossible for God to lack something. That's what omnipotent means, all-powerful. It's not Superman who's super strong. That's not who God is. God is everything. Okay? He is all-powerful. You can't be a truly human if you're all-powerful, though, because we are not. I'm not. Anybody here omnipotent? Anybody? A little <laughs> Occasionally, like on Tuesday afternoons, maybe you're omnipotent. Um, so in order to fulfill the mission he wanted to fulfill, Jesus, again, veiled some of his omnipotence. And we know this is true because we see Jesus getting tired. Jesus has to sleep. Luke chapter 4, after he gets baptized, the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness to fast and be tempted. And it says, and he fasted for 40 days, and he was hungry. I always thought that was one of the most pointless verses in the Bible. He fasted for 40 days. Obviously, he's hungry. Why do you need to mention that? It's actually incredibly profound because God is omnipotent, and Jesus is God, and yet he was hungry. Impossible. How is the impossible possible? Well, with God, all things are possible, right? And that is because he veiled, hid, put in his pocket. I don't know how it works. He's God. He can do this stuff, right? It's like God saying, I'm going to forget your sins now. I'm going to separate them as far as the east is from the west. How is that possible? Well, because he's God. And he can say, I'm going to choose to forget now. Could he unforget? Well, of course he can. He's God. But he chooses to forget because he's God. He can do that. So he chooses to set aside the omnipotence so that he can hunger and get tired and all that kind of stuff. Everybody with me? I'm not saying that Jesus was not omnipotent when he was here. This is where it gets confusing. 
I'm not saying he wasn't omnipotent when he was here. I'm saying he hid it. He held back. He didn't use it. Something like that. It's like a rich guy and all your money's in the bank on a credit card and you go around and you're, you never pull out your credit card. You might as well be poor. That's a terrible analogy, too. All analogies are terrible <laughs> when it comes to talking about this stuff because it's so huge, it's hard to understand. Steve. Remember that movie, The Passion? Yeah. It's like you were describing it. Was that as glory? Uh... You know, it's been so long since I've seen it. Oh, I do remember that part. It's, that's, 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 that might be a good analogy. Um, the flesh suit part I don't really like because Jesus was fully human. Yeah. It wasn't a suit. It wasn't a gimmick. It wasn't a trick. So this is, this is where this all gets difficult. How can you be 100% of two different things? 100% God and 100% man. There's only 100%. That's how math works, Nate. Okay? But not with God. With God, he can be 100% of two things at the same time. Again, how? I have no idea. It makes no sense, but it's amazing, and it's awesome, and it's glorious, and, and I love it. Um, and so he had to set aside veil, pocket his glory to some degree, at least for a lot of the time. He lets it out at uh, the transfiguration, which is really cool. Um, he set aside his omnipotence, at least to some degree, so that he could want and so that he could need. I personally believe that Jesus didn't do his miracles as the second person of the Trinity, I don't think he did all those things as an omnipotent God. I think he did all those things as a human, submitted to the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I see when I read through it, just as we do. Exactly. Exactly. He, he did it as an example. Could he have done all those miracles himself? Of course he could. But this is a problem some people have when they read it because they're like, well, of course he didn't sin. He's God. Of, of course he healed the dude. He's God. This isn't that big of a deal. I'm not surprised. Okay, But the point is, he was human, and he hid some of those godly powers so that he was then submissive to the Father, and he did only what he saw the Father doing. Jesus had the right to do whatever he wanted to. He created the world. He could do what he wants in it. That's how it works. But he didn't. He took on the form of a servant. He became humble, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, The level of humility here is nuts. Absolutely nuts. And he did that so that he could fulfill his ultimate mission to die, but also so that he could show us the way. And so he, as a human, submitted to the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit, worked in this world just as we do, submitted to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did. Amen? Um, the other thing that we know for sure that he, that he set, set aside to a degree is his omnipresence. Omnipresence means everywhere at once. It's one of those God-only qualities, right? Only God can be everywhere at once. Imagine being able to be everywhere at once and then not. We can't imagine it. It's not possible because we can't even grasp the concept of omnipresence. Most of us can't spell omnipresence. And so think about this. What if, for some reason, you were now confined to your house? You're on house arrest. There might be some fun things about it. There might be some fun things about it, but I would bet I would bet after a month, after two months, you might miss, I don't know, air or trees. Or when summer rolls around, you might miss going to a lake or driving to Cold Stone or going to Chipotle. 
You could open the window. But you'd be stuck, okay? Imagine being able to be anywhere like most of us are, and now you're stuck in your house, and you can never leave. That would be confining. That would be difficult. Now imagine you're stuck in your room. You can never leave your bedroom. Let's say it's not your bedroom. It's the guest room because the bedroom's too fun. So it's just, it's just the bedroom or just your bed or a wheelchair. You're a quadriplegic. Anybody ever met a quadriplegic? They're stuck in that chair and they can never move. Now imagine you don't have a motorized chair. Okay, think about how confining that is. It's basically prison. And Jesus went from the opposite of that. He is everywhere in the universe at the same time to being crammed into one little body. Not able to go. Not able to be anywhere at any given time like you used to. That's a pretty big sacrifice. Because but he's always been this way, God. It's not like he just got this upgrade and now he has to let it go. He's been this way for eternity past. And now he changes form. And to do that, he lets some of this stuff aside, including being everywhere at once and now being stuck in one spot. This is nuts to me. I think this is an incredible sacrifice on Jesus' part. I mean, he went from being in every room, in every building, in every planet, if there are multiple planets with people, he went from that to being stuck in one room. And he's a baby, by the way, so he can't even go to the next room unless somebody picks him up and carries him. And he also pooped his pants. Like, this is crazy stuff, okay? What God gave up, the omnipotence, the omnipresence, the glory, it's, it's incredible. I don't think we can possibly fathom how much Jesus gave up before the conception even took place. And he, by the way, planned this from before the foundation of the world. Christ was sacrificed before the foundation of the world. So before, when, when, man, when we were all, all of mankind was still just a, a simulation in God's head. But should we do this? God said, if we do this, this will happen, and they will fall, and I will go. Say Way back. Here at Christmas, we see it happen. And it's, it's just crazy. Sorry, I've been studying this all week, and it's just, it's so huge. So the owner of the universe becomes dependent on others for food, shelter, changing, keeping him safe. If his parents didn't flee Herod and become a refugee in Africa, he would have been killed. That's, that's the kind of sacrifice we're talking about. So let's, let's flip to Luke 2. I know we want to get there, so I won't, I won't hold back any longer. Let's go to Luke 2. So he gave up so much just for the incarnation to be possible in the first place. Again, I want to make it really, really clear. He didn't give up his divinity he was fully 100% God. He just chose not to use some of those godly superpowers, abilities, for a time in order to make the incarnation possible. Does everybody get the difference there? It's very important because some people misinterpret this to be like, well, Jesus wasn't fully God when he was on earth. But that's not true at all. He was 100% fully God, but he was also 100% fully human. He just he held back. Um, so Luke, Luke 2, Stephanie read this during worship, and I'm going to read it again. So in those days, a decree went up 
from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Um, all registered, each to their own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So we know who Joseph is from chapter 1. He is the betrothed of Mary, who the incarnation happened within. And Joe, being a good guy, decided he was going to put her away quietly and not make a big deal about it, despite the fact that legally he could have had her stoned. Because this is God's baby was not a good defense in those days, okay? And, yeah, it's, it's not mine. I don't, know, I don't know who the real mother is. Um, that's not going to work. So an angel comes to Joseph and says, no, take her as your wife. This, this child is my child. Like, this is real. She's not nuts. You would think she was crazy. Joseph is like, whoa, I, I got I to think Joseph is very relieved because he loves Mary, I think, and so this is a good thing. Um, but it's also a hard thing. Joseph is signing up for some difficulty, and he knows it because no one else is going to believe that this isn't his kid. And if you think being an unwed mother is a little rough today, imagine how it was in your grandparents' day. Now imagine how it was when they could stone you. So... Being an unwed mother, taking an unwed mother as your wife, this is socially suicidal stuff that Joseph is signing up for. But he is a good man. He is a godly man. He is a humble man, and he does it. And now he has to, on top of all this other stuff, he's got to quit his job for months, most likely, to go to Bethlehem and pay a bunch of money to Caesar. This is a rough gig, okay? We like to complain about our government. It's an American pastime strong tradition in our country, okay? The next time, just please, pastorally I'm telling you this, the next time you're about to complain about the government, first say a prayer of thanksgiving for how wonderful we have it here. Because although, yes, there's a lot to talk about, and yes, there's a lot of work to do in this country, we are so blessed. These guys had it rough. In Latin, there's like 50 different words for to kill. 50. They get very precise and specific because they loved killing people. Jugulare is my favorite, which means to kill someone by cutting their throat. That's where we get the jugular, jugular vein. Jugulare. So they had specific words for like every way to kill a person. And there's specific words within that. Torture, like 100 words. Okay? These are sick folks. They were really smart and they were amazing administrators, which is how they built such a great empire. But they are evil, demonic, horrible, horrible regime. And Joseph and Mary and soon-to-be Jesus are part of this occupied state. They're an oppressed minority. And now the Romans say, you got to go and pay us a bunch of money. And by the way, we're not just going to go around and collect it. You've all got to go to your, to your family's city to make it easier for us because we want to make sure nobody's skipping out. And so, you know, he's a tradesman. He's a builder. Traditionally, we think of him as a carpenter. There are more rocks and trees in Judea. I think he's probably a stonemason, but it doesn't matter. He was a, he was a tradesman. Okay? He was a builder. And back then, you, you, you're making it by, but barely. right? He lives in a Nazareth, a poor town. Not a lot of work. And now he has to give up work to travel all the way to Bethlehem to sit around and pay money. So this is difficult financially. right? This is a burden. 
He's also probably got to buy a donkey for his uber-pregnant wife to make the journey. Um, but he has no choice, or he'll be arrested, or tortured, or whatever. So this is financially really tough. He's got to give a lot of this up. Um, and go to his family city, which is in Bethlehem, as we know, which fulfills a prophecy in Micah. And um, that journey for a nine-month pregnant woman is not advisable, right? It's about 90 miles, rough terrain, bandits. She's either walking that whole 90 miles or bouncing on a donkey. Sarah, as you know, is an OBGYN. I asked her for her medical opinion, and she would strongly discourage <laughs> a trip like that. The whole thing. Stay in bed, woman. Um, and yet, this is, this is what they had to do. Why? By the way, God didn't have to do it this way. He chose to do it this way. He just should have been born in a palace in like a gold bed with like the best doctors ever and wrapped in silk with every beautiful instrument ever made playing triumphant songs 24-7 at his arrival. In my mind, that's how it should have happened anyway, right? God chooses this instead. That is weird. It is odd, and he must be trying to make a point. To risk the Son of God, after all that stuff we already talked about that had to happen for the incarnation, now he's at risk on this journey from this teenage mom bouncing up and down at a docky or walking down the hot road. Um, this is how God shows his love, and it's through sacrifice. And we see it throughout the scriptures, but we see it no better than at the incarnation and the crucifixion. God shows his love through sacrifice. That's the greatest kind of love, is a sacrificial love. Jesus said, a greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And he knew what he's talking about because that's what he was doing. He was laying down his life for us. That's the greatest kind of love. And so this insane birth story was all very intentional. It's supposed to be the most humiliating thing you've ever heard of. Because he's demonstrating that sacrifice to us in a very amazing way, memorable way, and he's making a statement to the whole world, uh, which we'll get to in a second. So it came time for her to deliver. There's no room in the guest room. Translated in, uh, the term is guest room. It can mean a place where you pay. It probably means the family house. I mean, Joseph had family there. Um, we've got kind of a full house now. There's a bunch of people staying with us, my in-laws, Sarah's sister. Um, but if a family member showed up who was great with child, one of us would give up our bed, right? Why didn't that happen? Why didn't someone in Joseph's family say, oh, you poor dear, come in here, I'll sleep on the floor or in the hay? Especially back then, guest right in first century Judea is paramount. To not do this is crazy. The only reason they could justify not doing this is if the people were horrible sinners, namely unmarried and super and super pregnant. That's, this is my opinion. It doesn't say this. But I think this unwed mother shows up and they're like, not in my house. The neighbors will talk. We're not doing this. No. Come on. Blue Ann. Sorry. Mm-hmm. 
And poor baby, I mean, she's young. I mean, they didn't live as long back then, so they tended to, to have kids pretty early. As, you know, she's, we don't know how old she was, but they scholars guess around 15, give or take. And poor baby, yeah, being ridiculed like that all the time. Oh, yeah. And this was... Right. To allow the guest in would be tantamount to saying it's okay. It's like if you don't believe in homosexual marriage, but you have a cousin who's getting married, do you go to the wedding? I, do. I go to the wedding, by the way. But <laughs> in that part of the world, in that part of the world, yes, it still happens today. Yes. It's crazy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was the first time that I watched. No one's gonna believe that. <laughs> right. The nativity, I think it's called. And this is one of the most unpopular parts of the Christmas story when you look at it, and that's that God not only sacrifices of himself, but he asks his people to sacrifice. He asks Joseph and Mary to sacrifice. He could have put a permanent halo around Mary's head so that everybody's like, oh, yeah, she's the holy one. We're not going to make fun of her anymore. He doesn't do that. He lets her be ridiculed all her life. The Pharisees bring this up. Well, at least we're not bastards. Why should we listen to you, dude? We all know. Everybody knows. And they make sure no one forgets. And so it's, I mean, like in the, we only have a few writings of the Sanhedrin and stuff that have to do with Jesus, but they refer to him as the bastard from Nazareth. So, like, this was a well-known thing that nobody, but Joseph was given, and thank God, God sent the angel to Joseph, right? I mean, he, he needed that. He needed that. But nobody else, Elizabeth knew by, by his prophecy because John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit. So she knew what was going on. I presume she told Zach. But, uh, again, we're not talking about just ontological suffering and sacrifice or physical suffering and sacrifice. We're talking about social pariahs, ridicule. I think that's why they didn't have room in the guest house. And so she, the, the baby is born in a manger, and they, they lay the child in a manger. Again, this is the creator of the whole world. There's a sheep pooping here, and we take this creator of the world and we put it where they eat. Like, this is not appropriate. I don't think any of us would allow our children or our grandchildren to be born in a stall where there are animals, probably currently. And we don't know if it was for sure like a, you know, uh, you always picture the little, like, stable. It doesn't say stable. It just says she laid the child in a major. So it could have been a cave. It could have been a stable. It could have just been out back. They would just build a slight overhang out back of the house, and that's where the animals were. In other parts of town, the animals stayed inside. In Africa today, they keep the goat inside, so no one steals a goat. 
And in Israel at that time, and actually still today in the first century, a lot of those houses, you walk into the house, and it's like a mud room, and there's a manger and water and some hay, and then you walk through that, and then you go up into the rest of the human living area of the house. Because if it gets cold, you don't want the animals to suffer, because they're your only livelihood, and if someone steals them, you're in trouble. And so that still happens in places like Africa. So it could have been that they were still in the house, that they were in a not good place, is the point. Okay? The creator of the world shouldn't be laid in a manger with a diaper. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. It's more than humble. It's humiliating. It's humiliating. And yet God chose this. He chose this. Uh, I, don't, I don't get it. It's nuts. Yeah. Yes, that, that would have been smart, but God told them, don't do that. Wait till after God's born. And so, yep, it needed to be, they could have, but it needed to be a virgin birth and not just a virgin conception. So they had to wait until after the birth before they could get married and do married stuff. Did you have a... Yeah. So, so that's what was happening there. And again, it would have been easier to do it a different way, but God chose the hard way. And anybody ever had God choose the hard way for them? It's not our favorite thing, right? But that's the deal. Sometimes he chooses the hard way and we walk it. And we don't usually get an angel to come and encourage us. But we do have the Spirit of God inside us, which is even better to encourage us along the way. And so again, over and over here, God is demonstrating his love for us through sacrifice. Not just humility, but sacrificial humility. And so I just want to recap. So God, we're talking about the long-awaited Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, the creator himself. He finally comes, right? Emmanuel, God with us. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But to get there, to get here, he had to give up some of that beauty and majesty and glory that was his for eternity. He had to give up or set aside some of that omnipresence and be confined and stuck in one place. He had to give up some of that power, some of that omnipotence, so that he could feel things God had never felt, like want and lack and tiredness and hunger and pain. God had never experienced these things. Now he got to experience them daily. And how is he welcomed? He's got a risky journey late in pregnancy. He's born to a no-account family from a backwater, middle-of-nowhere place. No power, no prestige, not even any respect. Remember when Philip goes to Nathaniel, I think it is, and says, hey, come check out this guy from Nazareth. He's like, Nazareth? Could anything good ever come out of Nazareth? Okay, so they're racist against their own place. And that's where Jesus came from. Again, intentional. He's not born a king. He's not born important. He's not born to the palace. Let's go to, no, let's go to nowhere. Let's find the poorest family. Let's, let's give it to a teenage girl who's not married. Like, it just goes and goes and goes. It's crazy. The level of humility and the level of sacrifice here. It's just, it's unbelievable. And now she's got to bounce on a donkey. The whole way there, there's bandits. Uh, who knows what might have happened on that journey. They don't let him stay. She's got to have the baby by herself in who knows where, some sort of filthy kind of conditions. Again, this is the savior of the world being born. The manger's cute and pretty to look at. It's very natsukashi, to use a Japanese word, like happy memories, because we all grew up with Christmas, right? So we see the manger and it's yay. 
the major's crazy. This is crazy sauce, guys. Like, seriously. Crazy sauce. Um, he's part of an oppressed minority in, in, a, in a ruling regime that is horrible and oppressive to them. He's discriminated against, not only for being that minority, for, but for being poor, for bouncing around all the time, for the fact that his parents weren't married. Everybody knows it. Um, and then they try to kill him, and he has to run and be a refugee in Africa, which is not usually where you go to be a refugee. Usually you're a refugee coming out of Africa. But no, Jesus goes back to Africa, to Egypt. There's like a slavery Egypt thing going on there. We could talk about that another time. So the creator of the universe put in an animal stall. This is all humiliating. It really is humiliating. And it, it, I mean, I've always been a Christian, so I've never seen this from an outside perspective. But I imagine that from an outside perspective, if you really look at this whole story like we just did, it sounds pretty crazy. But you've got to admit, nobody would make this up. This is not how you write a story about how a god came to earth. That god shows up on like a flying horse or something, and he's gorgeous and super strong, and all the world bows to him immediately, and there's like gold everywhere. And I mean, like, that's how you invent a story about a god, right? It's not an unwed mother from nowhere born in a stable or whatever. That's not how you do it. But that's how God did it. The, the two ruling empires in the day were the Roman Empire and the Parthian Empire. We've talked about this before, but um, both of those rulers, emperors, called themselves the King of Kings. That was their title, King of Kings. And Israel, smack dab in the middle of these two immense empires, is where the real King of Kings is going to be born. And imagine the Roman emperor having a baby. That's going to be a party. That's going to be a feast. Everyone's going to know the baby is born in not only the Roman Empire, but in every other enemy empire, too, because you want them to know that the emperor had an heir. Um, everybody would know it. Feasting for days, new songs written. Like, it, it, would, it would be nuts. It would be a crazy celebration. Um, now the real king of kings is being born, and how does God do it? God chooses to do it in the most humble, unassuming, opposite way possible. Finally, he has to tell somebody, so he lets the angels go and tell who? Shepherds, who can't even testify in court because nobody cares about them. God is the opposite <laughs> of what I think should be done. Because I want the fanfare and I want the, the correct welcoming. And God's like, no, no, no. To me, this story is basically offensive. Because this is God we're talking about here. My God. And this was a lot of sacrifice. This was a, a, lot, a lot, of, lot to give up, a lot of craziness. But God doesn't see it the way I see it. He sees this as the most beautiful thing he's ever done. The level of humility is incredible. That's who God is. And he was happy to do it this way. Happy to do it this way. And all of heaven was just in awe, I think. I, I'd like to see it on Blu-ray when I get there. Um, to see their reaction. We know our reaction, which was a little lackluster. Um, but I'd like to see what the angels thought of it. Because it, Paul does talk about them, them angels peering into the mysteries of God and like not seeing and not understanding. I don't think they fully understood what the incarnation was about. After all, it was impossible. Who would have thought this up? <coughs> anyway, um, we'll, we'll all see. We'll reconvene again in a million years. We'll figure it out. Um, the way the King of Kings came to this world was the opposite of how we would do it, I think. It's the opposite of what the world would expect. God was making a powerful statement. By saying, that's not what kingship is. The way you do it is wrong. This is what kingship is. This is what majesty looks like. I'm going to come in a humble way, and then I'm going to die for you. 
And of course, the birth is connected directly with the death. They're like bookends. And on the crucifixion, we all know that story very, very well about all the things he suffered um, on the cross in that level of humility as well. Um, so I, this, this Christmas, when we're doing all the fun stuff and having the parties and, and the family and everything, I'd like us just to think about what Jesus had to give up for Christmas to happen. What he went through during all of that, what Mary and Joseph went through too. Because we're never Jesus <laughs> in, in, our, in this story. We try to be his hands and feet, but sometimes we're Mary or Joseph. And they had to go through a lot. God asked a lot of them. He never left their side. He was with them all the time, but he did ask a lot of them. And sometimes he asks a lot of us. And when we think about Christmas, when we're with our families, I'd like us to think about that rejection and oppression and ridicule and poverty and humiliation and the cross, the degradation, the pain, the horror, torture of it all. Um, think about the fact that he had to sacrifice so much just to even do all that other sacrifice. He had to give up all of those things that heaven was. He had to set those aside. And he did that all for us. He did it all for us so that he could adopt us into the family of God. It's, it's amazing. So that's what love looks like. The least we could do. Yeah. That's great. I think that's the right response. And I think we're, we're all in the process of maturing. I mean, if, if, if we're here this morning and we haven't yet welcomed this humble king into our heart, I think this is probably the year to do so. Um. But for those of us who have, I think we can think about, all right, how does this example that Jesus gives us in the incarnation, in the birth, how can we live out that example in our families, even this Christmas season? How can we live out that example at work? How can we live it out at home when it's not a special season <laughs> and it's just the day-to-day -day doldrums? How can we be this example? How can we go lower than we would like to go, <laughs> than we're comfortable going? Um, for the sake of love for other people. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah, because he had all rights. He was the creator. <laughs> you know, he had every right that existed. Um, he could have literally called the rocks to, call, to sing his praises, you know. And... Yet he didn't. He let himself be mistreated, be ridiculed. Let his mama be ridiculed and mistreated. That's a tough one, isn't it? That had to hurt to know what people were saying about your mom every time you went to the market. Oh, here's that woman. They don't forget in small towns. Right. Jesus of nowhere.
Amen. Let's let's close, close in prayer. Father, thank you for, can't thank you enough for everything that you gave up to become one of us, everything you sacrificed, just so that you could adopt us into your family because you wanted to be with us forever. We thank you for that. Help us to not just remain mindful of it, but be changed by it. And help us to, in the small ways that we can, follow your example. This in Jesus' name, amen.